it is a case of chipping away at it. And whenever the new statistics come out every spring or something that says you've only gone on by 1%, saying, well, at least it's progress and, and saying we need to keep going. This way up is all about imagining brighter futures. So you've got to take the evidence that's there and say, well, we can do better than this and we can push on. We can make it a better workforce and therefore a better experience for audiences. This is the Box Office Podcast. I am Daniel Luria, the editorial director of Box Office Pro, the only publication in North America exclusively dedicated to covering theatrical exhibition. Joined this week by our box office analyst, Jesse Rifkin, to discuss another busy week here at the movie theater industry. We've got a recap of everything going on in the industry this week, and then a feature interview from our deputy editor, Rebecca Polly, who speaks with Hugh Audling-Smee, the manager of Film Hub Northern Ireland, who will be talking about This Way Up, an annual conference for UK exhibitors, which will be happening both in person and online this year. The registration link for This Way Up can be found in our show notes. But before we get started, Jesse, can you share a quick word from this week's sponsor? The box office company is delighted to be sponsoring This Way Up, the UK conference for independent cinema, taking place on the 1st and 2nd of December in Bristol, UK. With its Boost e-commerce solutions, Box Office is able to offer independent cinemas the means to maximize online sales and customer engagement through market-leading websites, mobile apps, online ticketing, and email marketing solutions. Contact the Box Office company at sales at boxoffice.com or search Boost My Cinema to find out more. Thank you, Jesse. It's going to be an interesting convention over in the UK that we'll be able to follow here online on December 1st and 2nd. And while we're talking about the UK market, uh, strong news this week as we get results from Cineworld that has seen great traction on the market. Cineworld, the parent company of Regal, which operates over 9,000 screens across 10 different countries, is returning to a positive cash flow after another great month in October. Jesse, what sticks out the most to me from this news is the results from the UK and Ireland market, where Cineworld actually exceeded its 2019 figures. A uh, great bit of momentum in the month of October. We are seeing about 80% and up around all of its global businesses for the second biggest exhibition chain in the world. This is part of a major rebound for U.S. circuits in the month of October. Looking at that domestic box office tally that I know you keep a close eye on uh, for us here at boxofficepro.com, the domestic market is only 20% behind 2019 levels if we look at the month of October, like for like. A great bit of momentum, and it looks like that was continued over at Cinemark this week. That's right, Daniel. Uh, Cinemark has been showing Netflix films since The Christmas Chronicles 2 a year ago in November 2020. That was their first one. Since then, they've shown more than 10 Netflix films theatrically. Well, this past weekend, they had their best performing Netflix film yet with Red Notice, the new action-adventure film starring Dwayne Johnson, Ryan Reynolds, and Gal Gadot. Although they did not release exact box office figures, as they have not been for any of their Netflix titles, they did reveal that it was their highest performing film yet at the box office. 
Now, that's very interesting that Cinemark is doing well with these titles, or at least they tell us they're doing well. We really don't know how to gauge this, right? Cinemark being the largest circuit in the United States to book Netflix movies, and they're doing so with a week of exclusivity. It's something that they instituted earlier this year with a title like Zack Snyder's Day of the Dead. It was given a one-week exclusive run at Cinemark before it opened on Netflix the same thing happening here for this title, Red Notice. Like you mentioned, Jesse, some of the biggest stars there, Ryan Reynolds doing very well at the box office, Gal Gadot, Wonder Woman. Of course, The Rock is going to be a huge straw. It reminds me of something that Mark Zarati said over at CinemaCon earlier this year. In his circuit being open to booking Netflix titles under terms that made sense for them, I think it's not a coincidence that they're getting a one-week exclusive run, for the right type of movies. You might notice that recently on trailers for many Netflix films, it will end by saying, appearing in theaters on November 5th and on Netflix streaming really? on November 12th. Wow, that's great. So they're, they're introducing that period of the exclusivity in some of their marketing. I think that's a, that's a great bit of momentum that we're seeing. But moving on to uh, more executive news here, a uh, bit of interesting news, Jesse. Uh, I know you're familiar with the Will Rogers Motion Picture Pioneers Foundation. This is a charitable organization that helps industry members in need. Well, Will Rogers has named its first female president in the nonprofit group's 85-year history. That is Heather Morgan, currently the vice president of content and programming at Harkins Theaters, who will be serving as president of the Will Rogers Motion Picture Pioneers beginning on January 1st. 2022. So a quick news roundup there on some of the bigger headlines that we're seeing both globally and here domestically. And when we talk about those two big factors in the exhibition market, Jesse, we have to talk about box office. And as we do so, Jesse, one of those big global titles that is earning both at home and overseas is Marvel's Eternals, which retains the first place spot at the domestic box office. Could you go over some of those highlights this weekend for this title? Yes, in its sophomore frame, it repeated on top with $27.5 million. About 10 of those dollars were from me, because I saw it this past weekend, <laughs> playing on uh, 4,090 screens. Now that represents a 61% drop from its opening weekend. For comparison, that's a steeper drop than fellow Marvel film Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, which fell about 54%, but it's a milder drop than Black Widow, which in July experienced a 68% drop, although that one did debut day and date on Disney+, Plus, which may have contributed significantly to its sharp second weekend fall. And we know, Jesse, that a title like Eternals has had somewhat of, uh, let's call it a mixed reception. Let's be charitable and, say, and use the word mixed here from fans. Uh, I know before we were recording, it didn't rank among your favorite Marvel movies. How much do you think that contributed to this week's 61% drop, which as you mentioned, it's steeper than Shang-Chi's 54%, but nowhere near as bad as that 68% drop from that PVOD day and date of Black Widow. I think word of mouth definitely contributed. I think the reason it dropped further than Shang-Chi was because, well, frankly, it wasn't as good as Shang-Chi. So where is this movie at domestically and worldwide at the box office, Jesse? So far through its second weekend, it has earned 118.8 million domestic, which is behind Shang-Chi through the same point. 
and 281.4 million worldwide. Now keep in mind, that's without having been released in the major film market of China yet. Right, right. That's the world's biggest film market, uh, obviously due to the pandemic in 2020, looking to repeat that title in 2021 here at the box office. Uh, Definitely an asterisk when we look at this film's global box office tally. But listen, two weeks in the US market, nearing $120 million. I think when all is said and done, when we look at that performance, at least domestically, it's a good bit of momentum leading in to the holiday weekend uh, in a couple of weeks from now. Now, that reminds me, leading into the holiday weekend here with Thanksgiving coming at the end of the month in the United States. And of course, you think of Thanksgiving, you think of family titles, Clifford the Big Red Dog opening in second place a title that went day and date on Paramount+. Plus. What were the numbers behind this movie, Jesse? Well, it earned $16.4 million in its opening weekend on 3,400 screens. For comparison, that is a bit higher than Paramount's Paw Patrol the movie, which also opened day and date both theatrically and on Paramount Plus in August and took in $13.1 million in its opening frame. Okay, so progress at least with a day and date model, we know where vaccinations are with with families, with children, but we're seeing at least some progression on two very similar titles in the market. Yeah, well, they're not similar titles. Paw Patrol is about normal sized dogs. (laughs) Of course, this one I think is uh, somewhat bigger. And the box office was also bigger. Uh, Now it opened earlier in the week, Where is it uh, heading into its second weekend? Well, you're right. It did open on Wednesday, a midweek release of the previous week. So it has earned about $22 million total domestically so far. Looking at the specialty market, Jesse, we had a number of films perform, I think, decently well among this subset. We know that going into the winter season, we see a lot of these platform releases, a lot of these limited releases. We had Kenneth Branagh's Belfast cracking the top 10 and opening in eighth place with 1.8 million from 580 screens. That's a limited release, not wide as, as, as we had thought. We announced on this podcast last week that it looked like Belfast might be going to over a thousand screens. They actually scaled that back. It's not a bad debut, Jesse, when we look at that per screen average, $3,103 per screen. That's among the best of the weekend. So a good start for Belfast, a historical drama. Slightly above them, we've got the French Dispatch from Searchlight Pictures continuing to hold on in limited release. There was no major expansion this weekend for the title, finishing in seventh place with $1.84 million from just over 1,200 screens. It does cross the 10 million mark this weekend. It's currently at 11.6 million domestic. Historically, not a banner uh, release for this director, for this type of title, but considering where we are in the marketplace for these smaller movies that don't bring out huge audiences, it's definitely a good benchmark and sign of progress. Related to that, we had a documentary from Sony Pictures Classics, Julia, about the famous chef, Julia Childs. Am I getting the name right? Julia Child. Julia Child. There we go. We didn't get her too much in Mexico. But as I understand it, she's a very big figure here in the United States. Yes, very big. They actually made a movie about her in the 2000s called Julie and Julia with Meryl Streep playing her. I believe she even received an Oscar nomination for the role. 
So we know this is someone that's celebrated here in the U.S. Uh, it reminds me of other sort of quote-unquote niche documentaries for a domestic audience, say like the Mr. Rogers documentary. I had no idea who this man was. In my life, I had heard of this man, obviously not growing up in this country. But hey, that documentary did so well that it ended up spawning, in this case, a movie afterwards uh, based on this story with Tom Hanks. And we saw that export a little bit. Here's an inverse, as you mentioned, where Julia Child is a celebrated figure, already had this fictional, uh, let's say, biopic-like film before. There's a, there's a documentary now on the market. Jesse, this one opened in five locations, actually grossed $20,000 just across those five theaters. That's a $4,159 average per screen among the best of the weekend. So again, these aren't big banner figures, but important signs of progress. And we know that movies released right now on a specialty basis are filling up more and more seats in their auditoriums. Moving on to next weekend, we've got a couple of titles. Uh, what are the biggest wide releases hitting theaters next weekend, Jesse? We've got the sequel Ghostbusters Afterlife coming from Sony and King Richard, the Will Smith starring film about the father of tennis superstars Venus and Serena Williams coming from Warner Brothers. And we've got interviews with the filmmakers of both Ghostbusters Afterlife and King Richard on our website, boxofficepro.com. You can also find our weekend forecast for next weekend at the box office on boxofficepro.com. Jesse, thanks for joining me on this uh, quick news recap. And now we are going to be moving on to our feature segment where our deputy editor, Rebecca Polly, will be speaking to Hugh Audling-Smee, the manager of Film Hub Northern Ireland, to talk about This Way Up, an annual conference for UK exhibitors happening in person and online on December 1st and 2nd. Rebecca, take it away. Hugh, thanks so much uh, for joining me today on the Box Office Podcast. Super excited to hear more about the, the This Way Up conference and some of the issues that you're going to be uh, discussing this year. Uh, I imagine there's a there's a lot to talk about after the last couple of years. <laughs> there, yeah, yeah, yeah. We certainly racked up the themes and the and the trends that we need to look at. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's not all about COVID. You'll be pleased to hear. Uh, I mean, this is our this is now our eighth edition, and the Film Audience Network sort of is in its in its second go in terms of funding uh, from the BFI. So we do have a kind of a, a body of knowledge now uh, that we can develop. But I think yeah, there's there's a lot of different areas that we're going to look at this year, and we're going to try to reflect a number of different themes that are kind of hot, I suppose, at the moment. Um, I mean, obviously, we are uh, right across the UK. So there's a, there's a lot of different sort of regional variations of things. But there's also a lot of political agendas outside exhibition that we that we need to really take into consideration. I mean, the founding principle of This Way Up is to kind of bring as many independent cinema people together to discuss these issues, to meet, to network, to hear about each other's work, I think is really important as well. That's something that, you know, best practice or projects that, you know, that, that are just getting off the ground that might need some support from another region and things like that. So, you know, the kind of trends that we'll look at this year, we've got, we're, we're going to be looking at the regional and sort of what the regional means. So, for example, I'll be chairing something with the producers of Bait Film, which was a micro-budget title that was based in Cornwall. Uh, and we're looking at sort of regional tours and how you can engage 
regional audiences with titles and and the burgeoning film industry because so so much investment goes into the film industry sometimes maybe audiences get left behind sometimes in in, in regions the, the london government has a big what they call leveling up which is a term about sort of reinvesting in certain areas uh, outside London. There's been a there's been a real discussion about sort of all the money kind of funneling into London. So we'll be looking at how can cinema play a role in that. Uh, cinema is such a an important part of people's communities and important part of the kind of the development and the uh, what's the word the, re- the regional and economic development of towns and cities. But how can we play a part in that? So hearing from some people who will be decision makers in that process. Hearing, you know, what's the best way to do it and how can audiences benefit from that as well. We'll be addressing the issue of sustainability. That is really an issue around what is redevelopment uh, and is it is it more sustainable to simply uh, fix up uh, an old cinema and use it or is it a case that technology has moved on so fast that actually you have to knock it all, everything down so that audiences get the best uh, engagement with film? So there's a lot of issue, issues coming out of that. I mean, I, I'd imagine that's also relevant to the discussion around accessibility with these some of these yeah. old buildings, which is another uh, topic that I saw on your schedule. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I mean, accessibility is always something that's part of it. I mean, we we work very much towards the BFI's agenda around accessibility and access to the best independent cinema in the world is what we really are all about and what the whole project is about. Um, there's other issues around uh, freelance workers within the industry and how, how can venues employ them. Obviously, COVID was something that really brought up the issue of freelance workers. It's maybe not such an issue in America, I don't know, but um, it's certainly something that has, you know, there was suddenly a huge amount of freelance workers who are are integral to the industry. We're suddenly sort of, where do we go from here? And what happens to us in these situations, you know? Uh, so that's an important one. Film criticism, um, something maybe close to your heart. We're, it is uh, indeed. We're, we're looking at that and the sort of, again, the London bias around press screenings about how, you know, releases are very much London focused uh, and sort of so how can we combat that? And then that really feeds into the idea of film culture in certain areas and, uh, and certain regions. There are eight film hubs right across the UK, which make up the Film Audience Network. So we need to work hard to think, well, an issue might be hot here, but has it a relevance in another another region? Certainly film criticism and the building of film culture. I'm from Film Hub NI here based in Belfast at the Queen's Film Theatre. And, you know, film criticism and encouraging young people to get involved in film criticism and talk about the role of cinema and film in their lives is something we're trying to encourage. So, so that'll be an interesting panel around that. Uh, we'll be looking at how we work, the working practices within the industry, uh, we'll be interrogating some research that's just come out about the role of independent cinema in England, in the regions in England. So, so yeah, and then obviously the BFI will be coming in. Um, they are our funders and uh, they are the lead organisation for film in the UK. And so um, we'll be joined by Ben Roberts, who's the uh, chief executive of the, Fil- uh, the British Film Institute. That'll be interesting to hear what Ben's plans are. They're just about to publish a new 10-year strategy. So we'll be hearing a lot about that. And also Mia Bayes who is a brilliant film producer and exhibition producer here, uh, who has done some amazing work, especially around um, female-based um, films uh, with, a, with a project called Bird's Eye View. She's just been taken on as the director of the Film Fund at the BFI. So obviously she's a, a very experienced in exhibition and it's gonna be very interesting to hear someone who's gonna be heading up BFI production as to how she sees exhibition, what role is there, what are the links between production and exhibitions. So, yes, yeah, so, so it'll be great to have them there as well. 
Man, I want to dive into all these topics, but if I did, this interview would be two hours long. <laughs> I've and, got time, Rebecca. It's okay. And, and uh, you know, people, we want to we want to hold some back. So people go to the This Way Up conference, December 1st yeah. and 2nd. Tickets available now at thiswayupcon.com. And if you can't make it to the watershed in Bristol, you should definitely, uh, the, there is an online presence. And so there will be hybrid access. So you can buy an online ticket relatively cheaply. cheaply and take part and listen in to what the, what the panels are saying. I wanted to, to dive in a little bit and ask uh, about the accessibility issue, just because it's something that I, you know, personally am interested in. I don't want to bring everything back to COVID, but it is kind of the elephant in the room. How did COVID and the fact that people couldn't go to physical cinemas for so long that maybe they were, uh, you know, engaging with their cinemas through a virtual cinema model, how did that change conversations around accessibility? I think one of the key uh, conversations that happened was that people suddenly realized that there was a greater and wider audience. I mean, a lot of people who maybe feel reticent uh, and have difficulty maybe getting to the cinema, maybe through physical or mental health issues and things like that. When the shutdown happened, I think a lot of our independent cinemas sort of led the way in trying to engage audiences online and make sure that these small small titles, that they, they are really the only people who show in a, in a cinema context, still, you know, their audience can get, gain access to it. Also, I mean, in terms of this way up, what we find last year was a lot of people that might be precluded from traveling. Uh, it could be an access issue or it could be, you know, just, just work or family life and that sort of thing of, of attending two days at a conference. They were much more involved in the online edition that we did last year. So I, I think for the whole industry, there's a sense that this is a, a window to accessibility and, and broadens the accessibility uh, for independent cinema and for these great titles that we love and are passionate about people seeing. So it's an opportunity as well as a challenge. I think that ties into sustainability too. I mean, it's a topic that I've, uh, you know, I've written about and I'm interested in uh, theaters going to solar, theaters uh, kind of changing their, uh, their operations to generate less waste. Um, and it felt like well, at least in the U.S. here, and I, and I know Coca-Cola was doing some stuff with like the Leicester Theater in, in London. Uh, there were conversations and things were going in a more sustainable direction. And then COVID hit and it all stopped. And everyone's like, we can't worry about this now. And it's time to get back to it. Yeah, I, th I think that that's a real issue about returning to those issues because our audiences are interested in this. You know, they are interested in the kind of sustainability that we have, but also felt has a big issue. You know, production has a big issue and uh, exhibition has a big issue. And, you know, it is a it is a thirsty business. And the role of film festivals in terms of bringing lots of people by air to various different places and, and that sort of stuff. How can the learnings of the last five or six years be, be kept in, in our minds in that? And I think it's a, I think there is a willingness within the industry to address these things. But I think yeah, it's, it's not waiting for. Uh, normal to return, because that could be two years off, could be three years off. We, we just don't know what the situation is. I mean, it's obviously something that, that's not exclusive to the cinema industry. I mean, there's a, a difficulty in hiring and, and retaining employees just across the board. What are you seeing some of these independent cinemas do to, to counteract that? Well, I think there's an awareness of career development. There's awareness of conditions of work is a really important one as well. So, I mean, uh, this way up this year, we're, we're sort of discussing this the way we work 
uh, and, and what the impact is across our workforce. But there's also an awareness that we need to involve outside organizations much more and be maybe more open and transparent about our working practices. I think that's very important. So in, in the UK, we have a thing called the Film and TV Charity, and they've been very, very strong about trying to get support to people who do feel stressed within the industry. And I think this way up is a really good opportunity for them, the workers to realize what resources are out there. They're not alone and that the people will listen to them. There can be a culture of working practice, which is very demeaning and difficult and puts people in great situations or great difficulty. I mean, governance is a great issue. Uh, very often we're, we're talking about organizations that are uh, run by voluntary boards, I suppose you might describe them, board of governors, we would also call them. So governance is an issue. I mean, you know, what roles do our leadership have in terms of ensuring the best practices within their organization and taking it seriously, I think. There's very often maybe a culture sort of saying, oh, well, those things, we'll sort those out in a case-by-case basis, as opposed to saying, well, we need a proper culture within our organization that actually encourages people to stay, that makes it an interesting place to work and gives them opportunities to develop. What I find, I mean, the hubs, we work with everyone right across in Northern Ireland, but right across the UK, all the hubs work with it. The talent and the enthusiasm from young people coming into the industry is inspiring. And it needs to be nurtured. nurtured. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that is really a really important thing that the industry needs to think of long term. That This is not just about short term five year plans. This is about somebody coming into the industry at 18 and maybe developing, creating new work, innovating, finding new audiences, all those things that we, we all want. But we need to nurture those people. We need to make it uh, a fit and proper and nurturing environment. I mean, exhibition can sometimes be seen as the Cinderella of the skills development and career development area because cinemas sometimes can be sort of seen as further down the chain in terms of the importance within the within the ecosystem. But I think that that's rapidly changing. And I think it's discussions like we have it this way up. And, and you know, you're having a new show and, and this sort of awareness that, the culture that you come into is the culture that you might stay in for the rest of your life and produce great work. I mean, there's a perception too, I think, well, here here in the US anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if it's this way in the UK, of um, the independent art house specialty space as, um, well, let's just, I'll just say older and white. That's yeah, older yeah, and white. Yeah, and yeah. diversity and inclusion, I mean, that's another thing where you can't take it on a case-by-case basis. You can't be a theater and be like, oh God, we don't, we need to hire a woman and then, you know, dust off your hands and you're done. You need to look at some of these overarching systems that you can place. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the uh, the BFI have really been leading on that, Um, but it is a slow process. And you are talking about uh, very often, these are society's problems that are kind of make manifest within within organizations and within workforces and things like that. So it is a case of chipping away at it and not being, whenever the new statistics come out every spring or something that says you've only gone on by 1%, saying, well, at least it's progress and, and saying we need to keep going. This way up is all about imagining brighter futures. So you've got to take the evidence that's there and say, well, we can do better than this and we can push on and we can make it a, a better workforce and therefore a better experience for audiences. So are all these conversations uh, that are happening, the panels and whatnot, are they all going to be available uh, digitally for people who can't attend or is there in-person exclusive stuff going on? Some will be live and some will be recorded and then put out later. Um, there's, there's issues obviously within terms of access to the, the spaces and things like that, but yeah, they will all eventually be online and some will be available live. Uh, how do people buy their ticket here? Give us, give us the plug. 
well, if you go to thiswayupcon.com, I'll spell that out for you just to, for clarity. T-H-I-S-W-A-Y-U-P-C-O-N.com. And thank you again to our guest, Hugh Audling-Smee, the manager of Film Hub Northern Ireland, for joining us to talk about This Way Up, an interesting conference heading your way on December 1st and 2nd. On behalf of Jesse, myself, and our entire team at Box Office Pro, thank you so much for joining us this week. The Box Office Podcast is produced by Box Office Pro in collaboration with the Box Office Company and Record Edit Podcast. Tune in next week for another new episode.